Bears fans, we're still here breaking down what we saw on Sunday. We can't turn the page just yet because we have our Chicago Bears insider Courtney Cronin in the building breaking down what she saw on Sunday and kind of, I think, what most of us saw on Sunday, which is ineptitude from the offensive side of the football and still a ton of concerns on the defensive side and coaching as well. But I mean, we got to go deeper than this now. I mean, this this goes deeper than just play on the field. We got to talk about Chase Claypool's comments, Darnell Mooney's comments on uh, getting the the ball in the hand of playmakers. I I've still got a ton of questions on leadership around this team, and realistically, who's most to blame for this team's struggles? All that and more in today's episode of the Chicago Bears podcast. Hit that like button, subscribe to the page, drop a bird down in the comments below, and uh, leave that five star review. You guys know what to do. Courtney, how's how was Tampa? How how was the 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 Tampa trip outside of Bears football? Right, I guess it's hot. <laughs> it was really hot. Like, I mean, I don't know how people live down there year round, let alone August, September, October. It was it was sweltering. And I remember leaving the game, leaving the press box to go down to the locker room. There was this tub of ice and water. Yeah. Like, you know, it's an ice bath. Um, in an impromptu, I think it was called emergency ice tub. And so like, I remember seeing it and we're walking down to the locker room and then I see Lucas Patrick submerge his body in this thing um, after playing that game. And we know that he had First quarter. Um, he looked like he was cramping a bit towards the end, but I don't, I got to give players credit. That is really, those are really tough conditions to play in yeah. and you're playing on turf as well. So that's, that's difficult. It it was uh it was interesting to kind of see all of the guys who were affected by the heat. I always wonder on games like this, like, hey, maybe you guys should practice down there the whole week or something like that, just to acclimate your body. Because the Bears had a couple of guys go down with, uh, I'd, I'd say, heat exhaustion. I, like, it didn't mm-hmm. seem to get past that. But dehydration, uh, I think dehydration. Matty said like about Jaquan Brisker. Yeah, so uh, good to see him come back out there as well. I want to start here, though. By the way, this podcast brought to you by the Hard Rock Casino in Northern Indiana. Uh, I want to start off on uh, Chase Claypool's comments because I think that they say so much about the preparation yet again of this Chicago Bears team, this offense as a whole. He dropped this quote uh, after the week two loss. He said, sometimes 10 guys are doing a good job and one person just isn't like me. I think it's a run play and it's a screen. That's my fault. Courtney, did Chase Claypool basically just say that after being here for a year and off season, a training camp, uh, and now starting another season that he still doesn't know the playbook? I think he was, I, I think he was trying to couch that like something he said previously to a question I asked him about, about like what the heck went wrong against green Bay. Cause remember this was our first time getting a chance to, to talk with him yeah. uh, after the bucks game. And you have to go back then asking about what happened against green Bay. It just, it was, it was tough. And like, you know, at that point he asked, he said that, you know, those plays against green Bay are ones that he wants back but it's an unrealistic expectation more or less for him to be perfect on all plays. And then he follows up. The next question is why is this offense so inconsistent? You have one really good drive at the beginning, six terrible drives in the middle. um, And then your eighth drive is the touchdown where Claypool catches a 20 yard tight window pass, which was a really good throw from Justin Fields. Great protection. The whole, the whole thing was good on that. Um, And, you know, so there's like all this inconsistency and that's where his whole thing of, 
you know, taking some accountability for the screen pass before like the one that backed them up to the six yard line to begin with, like putting the onus on himself. And maybe that comes from conversations he had with the coaching staff that, you know, were at his behest, you know, meeting with them last week. So he says that like, take ownership, take accountability. So he did. Um, But that's, you know, to admit, like, you didn't know what the, what the play was, is that, that, is it on, it could be a number of different things. Could be that it's still not clicking with him to the level it needs to be. It could be that Justin Fields didn't relay the play call correctly enough. It could not, it could be that the offensive coordinator, the play design right there was not, like, people weren't on the same page about it. Maybe it looked different in practice. Maybe there was something else, but, you know, for him to, you know, get that penalty that he blocked before the pass was thrown. Right. Um, it moves them back to the six yard line and they run that screen. Like that's, you know, the same one more or less. Um, that's what costs them the game. So I actually, I thought it was just from like the, you know, from Claypool and where he's at right now, I thought it was wise of him to take some accountability there, but it certainly highlights some concerns about, you know, not just that play, but other plays where 10 guys, nine guys might be doing their job and then one or two are not like this offense is, is off kilter. It's out of it's they're out of sync. And a lot of that has to do with things that we heard about throughout like the early part of this week and the fallout from their loss to Tampa Bay, whether it's the spacing of receivers and where guys are supposed to be on specific plays or, you know, just, we know about the offensive line. We know about Justin Fields and holding on to the ball too long. There's so many different things that were credited for wrecking plays, for wrecking drives. And it, I mean, I think it shows you how difficult it is when you have, you need to rely on 11 players to do, it's a, it's a symphony. Everybody's got to be playing the right note at the same time. Otherwise it sounds terrible. Or in this case, otherwise it looks terrible and usually doesn't result in a positive gain. Um, but I think the bigger takeaway for me with Claypool in all of this is that, you know, for the good, for every good moment he had in that game and getting himself back on track and that, you know, he felt like he played with maximum effort. The coaching staff seemed to concur when we talk with Matt Eberflus, but there's still some things in there where Justin Fields, for whatever reason, in moments he can get the ball to his playmakers in others. It just seems like it's either an afterthought or he doesn't see like literally doesn't see them downfield. So um, that's a concern, but you know, Claypool is going to be under the microscope as we know the rest of the season, like every moment he's out there because of what we have not seen from him, that's all going to be scrutinized and, and fairly because he is here to prove himself. They gave up a lot to get him. You can't have boneheaded plays like that where, oh, I thought I heard, a, I thought I heard it was, um, you know, a run play and then it ends up being a screen pass. Like you can't have, those are not mistakes that you're going to be able to get away with much longer. Yeah. And it, I think it, it, it's tough, right? Because now the effort is questioned on what did you do in the off season for me? The one thing that we're still, I, I don't know if we moved forward with chase. I think, yes, the effort looked better, but the effort looked better because of how God awful the effort was in week one is we're in week two. And you go back and watch, there's still a ton of plays where it's like, dude, I'm sorry, are you six, four, two forty, or, or did, did they misread you here? Why are you getting thrown to the ground repeatedly? There's a goal line stance where uh, on the goal line play with Justin ends up running in a touchdown, right? You just see Chase just get thrown around like a rag doll. And I, I I sit here today as somebody who I was so excited when we brought him in. I believe that this guy has all the talent in the world, but 
you kind of see the reason why Pittsburgh was so willing to give up on him at mm-hmm. this point. And, and that's sad to say when we're here two weeks into the season and it's two weeks in a row that he's been able to play something he couldn't really do last season. Yeah. And I, I know some people were not thrilled with me when I said this during the game, but you know, that pass that like is the, like, I know the official game book credits, like, you know, on the screen past the end of the game, that ball was going to chase Claypool and yeah. that the one that got picked off the pick six, but there was yeah, a play yeah. earlier in the game where fields is throwing towards the um, t- throwing towards the bear sideline and Claypool make sure like causes it to not be an interception. And I know no. I, I, I said like in that moment, that's the play that Justin Fields is giving you. And yeah, was it thrown behind the receiver a little bit? Not everything's going to be perfect here. And I'm really starting to get tired of all these excuses, whether it's the coaching staff, 100%. whether it's fans like, Oh, sorry. So, so-and-so's out of position. Can't throw the ball. Like what the hell are we doing? This is professional football. Like, not everything's going to be A plus all the time in terms of where guys are lining up, in terms of where throws are going. Make a freaking play. And on that play, Claypool knocked, I mean, he prevented the interception from happening. That's great, but that's a 50 50 ball. That's a 50 50 ball, Pat. You got to go and fight for that one. You got to put yourself in better position so the DB doesn't just step in front of you to go get that ball. Like, and and that bothers me because a lot of fans were like real pressed about that. And I was like, what are you getting at here? Like, don't defend the quarterback in this moment for throwing what is a bad ball um, and then saying, oh, it's not it's not Claypool's fault at all. Like, it's all on fields. No, it's a give and a take. Yeah. Like, you have to put yourself in better position if you're Claypool there on the sideline to fight for that ball. Because where have we seen this before? Where have we seen this? Multiple times with him. That first game that he played last year where it's a contested catch that he doesn't come down with. That is not okay. Those are the things that that's not the playbook. That's technique. That's fighting for it. That's effort. That's all those things. And I, of course, he played a lot better this game than he did the previous game, but there's still a lot of meat on the bone when it comes to Chase Claypool of seeing the full breadth of his potential. And I think that's a type of play, no matter the ball wasn't completely off target. Like, so just, just stop with that. If you, if you and feel the, like and the was. DB, the DB stepping in front of him, you shouldn't be able to do that. Like, listen, this is not the first time that we've he's seen bigger like, than him. He, he's like, basically he DK. Like, what, what is he? he? He's, he's an inch shorter than DK and, and 20 pounds less. Like, come on guys. Like that's the one thing where, I mean, I mean, me and uh, Jeff Meller talked about that on the post post game show. And I was like, listen, this is the thing that you have to understand about where Justin Fields is as a quarterback now and his trust level with Chase. It's not there. So if I'm going to give mm-hmm. you this ball, I'm giving you a 50-50 ball in a situation where, yeah, listen, you got to go fight for this, but this is a one-on-one opportunity for you that I'm expecting you to win. You know what we'll never see again now? He'll Probably never get that, that ball thrown his mm-hmm. way. He will never get that ball thrown his way again because Justin doesn't trust him to make that play. Now, that doesn't absolve Justin Fields from everything else that we saw in that game. But in those moments, those are the moments where you have to have the trust with your receiver and the trust with your quarterback. And there clearly is a lack of trust on both sides from these guys. Let me ask you this, though, with with Claypool right now, with the better effort, right? We heard from Jay Glazer before the game, right, that the Bears basically were like, listen, figure it out or you're not going to be here. And we're talking about, like, next week, you won't be here. Where are we at now with that situation? Does it seem like he's done enough to kind of 
keep his spot here, to keep whatever his spot is now in the rotation with Darnell Mooney yeah. dealing with his injury? Now, or are we heading the other direction here? No, for now. I mean, he did what he needed to do against Tampa. Catch your first touchdown. Um, he was targeted a lot more in field said post game. I needed, you know, he was so conscious, even though they never say that it's always so funny. Like they never say any of this stuff during the week. Like, but then it was like, oh yeah, I was actively trying to get DJ the ball. And yeah. then of course getting chased the ball too. Eberflu said that when he was talking about wanting things to be consistent with this offense, they got to get the ball to two and they got to get the ball to 10. Yeah. So it's something to build on, but I think what frustrates a lot of fans is how it's perceived right now that they're treating like basic things as major milestones. Like, yeah. oh, okay, Chase Claypool in this game caught, uh, I think he was targeted, yeah, he was targeted seven, six, eight times. He caught three passes for 36 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, very mediocre day. Yeah, but that's like treated as like, oh, look, he had effort. He played great. Like, no, like take it a step above because you will never build a championship culture if you have mediocre expectations of guys doing the bare minimum. You have to go beyond that. And it yeah. goes to the, it falls on the quarterback too. They can't keep treating him with kid gloves, blaming other things. It's, oh, he couldn't hit Roshan there. He hesitated a little bit on the route and, you know, Fields didn't throw it. No, he had time. Like the same thing with Claypool and where we stand right now. You know, when I heard uh, Ryan Poles on with Jeff Joniak on our on our pregame show, and he made the comment that, you know, Chase knows what he needs to do, and they expect to see the changes. This is going in a Tampa Bay game, or they'd have a decision to make going forward. The writing's on the wall. You just got read the riot act, friend. Yeah. Like you in got public. you in public, like in public. multiple like, times. And like and that's the Bears tell us nothing. And Ryan Poles said basically, you might not have a job tomorrow on and, the air. <laughs> and that's that's if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. And yeah. if Mooney can't go, or and he said he made it sound like the knot that's above his knee, you know, when he banged knees with the um with the Bucks DB, that's yeah. not going to be something that keeps him out. First off, he's kind of an afterthought, anyways. On Sunday, that should not affect Chase Claypool. Chase Claypool should take those eight targets and make those six catches or seven catches, uh, building off the three catch, thirty six yard touchdown stat line. Like that has to be where things go here because otherwise it's why did you trade all of these you know it's it such a vital asset to yeah. get a re to get a receiver here that you probably could have fulfilled his role if he's going to continue if it continues to look kind of mediocre at best you could have fulfilled that role with the street free agent you could have fulfilled that role with equanimous st brown who was act inactive again for a second week so i i I don't think we should walk away being like, everything's fixed. Wow. Good on Chase Claypool. Everything's <laughs> wonderful again, because there's still a lot, there's a lot to be desired here. Um, and a lot left for him to prove going forward. There will never not be a game going forward where he's under, where he's not under the microscope. He's done too much um, to not prove that he's the guy. So now that we have a glimpse of it, people are going to want more. The team's going to want more. This offense is going to demand more and he has to rise to the occasion. Otherwise they're going to be in this spot more times than not, and that's unfortunate for a team that's trying to climb out of an 0-2 hole with a lot of ans a lot of questions over answers on offense. Let's jump into the second quarter here because still so many questions, and, and we're going to stick with the offensive side of the ball. Something Darnell Mooney said. I want to let you guys know. Second quarter brought to you by the Hard Rock Casino, Northern Indiana. You can see John Mulaney and Pete Davidson at Hard Rock Live Friday, October 6th. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. I might actually go to that one. I like, I like the John Mulaney. Wait, I like Pete John Davidson? Mulaney. Pete like, Davidson a little dry. Wait, it's Pete like Davidson. Him, he's the actor, right? The comedian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
he's wait so is he doing like a routine i didn't know he was like touring. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> I, I didn't know this. I didn't part. know this. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Pete Davidson like, is a stand-up comedian too. Yeah, he's got like oh, a special. I thought he, on, I uh... he just made bad movies and dated <laughs> celebrities. <laughs> the shots, the shots in Pete Davidson. But please, everybody, go to the Hard Rock Casino. We are telling you, flock there. Send them your business. Hey, apparently, just for John Mulaney. Don't. <laughs> Not a Pete Davidson fan, are you, Courtney? He's, I, I, he's I, a, I didn't, know he, had, I didn't really know he had a job. Like I thought, last time I saw him was on Saturday Night Live like a couple of years ago. So I don't know. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, The second quarter underway here. Darnell Mooney said something that I think speaks to two different parts of this offense, and I want to get your opinion on it. He talked about, and he said this repeatedly, you have to put the ball in the hands of your playmakers. To me, that speaks to one of two things on this team. Number one, and I said this was my key to the Bears going down to Tampa and getting a win. Bears should be zero moments where DJ Moore gets less than 10 targets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I I get it, seven targets, six receptions, 104 yards. Uh, but I shouldn't leave a quarter and talk about DJ Moore saw the ball thrown his way twice. He's your number one receiver. And I think the other thing it speaks to is how it seems like either Justin Fields or Luke Getze has put a ball and chain on his ankle and is not allowing him to leave this pocket and run for some of these plays because there's moments last season where Justin would have just said, oh, that's not there. Got to go. And maybe it was too quick, but he can make something out of nothing. This season, he's basically just standing back there, patting the ball, taking too much time. I actually thought the offensive line gave him enough time to make plays, what do the Bears have to do to put the ball in the hands of their playmakers and just let them go? It's it's twofold, of course. That's on the offensive coordinator. I felt like what Mooney was saying, got to get the ball into DJ's hand. And he talked about that first drive. Why was yep. that successful? Because the first play was a 33-yard pass to DJ Moore from Justin Fields, and it was a yep. well-protected pass for sure. And it was it was like the, the whole thing, rhythm and timing and all the buzzwords yep. that we've heard here. like. That sets them up. That gives them momentum. And yeah, like they get into Tampa Bay territory on that play, and that's great. And then it's the incomplete pass to Robert Tunyon, you know, the the run there from Justin Fields for five yards. Like, why are we going? And then, of course, you know, it ends up um, like that ended up being a fine drive, but where are the design runs for the quarterback? It almost feels like there was this massive overcorrect to what we saw last season from yeah. week seven through about 11, where it was run the ball a ton with Justin Fields, use him as a running back in a lot of situations, and then you know build your offense off of that. First off, teams have taken note of that. He's facing zone coverage the third highest of any quarterback in the NFL. Well, what does that mean? Zone coverage takes your running lanes away. So yeah. it, it's kind of twofold. Like It takes your running lanes away, and then it forces te- – it t- it's telling you the defense is forcing you to – to, you know, to to make bad throws. They want you to make mistakes. And it's two-game sample size, but his QBR against zone was 69 last year, and it's 17 through two games. So you're not running, and there's the interceptions, there's the turnovers, there's a lot at play here for why Justin Fields has struggled. But you got to get the quarterback involved in the run game because he's not a drop-back quarterback. Like, I don't know what they're doing having him drop back 66 times in two weeks when that has never been his M.O. here. Where's the play action that we saw on that first drive? Where is it? Because it disappeared the rest of the game outside of 
One of my favorite plays, which was just a great play. I think it was Antoine Winfield who knocked the ball out of Cole Komet's hands. Yeah. What happened on that play? Oh, look, Justin Fields on the he rolls out, he rolls out of the pocket off of play action, and he's coming down the visitors, the home team sideline. He makes that throw. Cole Komet has it for a second, and then Winfield. Um, or whoever the DB was, like knocked it out of his hands. Like, that was a great yeah. defensive play, but that was a great play from Justin Fields. Where is that? Because you're putting this quarterback who you know holds onto the ball too long. Like that is that's there's there's no way around that. That's what yeah. he does. And you're asking him to not be what he is and what he's been. Like, why do you have him in a situation where he's dropping back? Like there were 43 dropbacks this season where he's had three seconds or more to throw the ball. Half of those have resulted in either a sack or an incompletion. Yeah. Like, can't have that. And I think that that falls on play calling to, that falls on the offensive coordinator to design things that have fields in mind where he can be more successful when he's playing to his strengths. It becomes like a very basic concept at that point, but it feels like they've tried to overcomplicate and maybe in a way like do things differently than what they were expecting, what other, what teams were expecting them to do. And that's got them into this rut because they're trying to make him into a quarterback that he just like playing to a skill set of a quarterback that he isn't. And that's okay that he's not, but that's not helping your offense by forcing him into situations that he can't succeed in. I think that's the thing too, that, that irritates me the most when we talk about getting the ball in the playmaker's hands. It's, it's the, it's the simple things, right? Like that pass to DJ Moore, realistically the, the first pass down, right? Like, wasn't a great pass. I'd like to see Justin keep him moving there. DJ Moore has to catch that kind of behind him, ends up spinning out, goes down the left sideline. He's down the field. Oh, my goodness. He made something out of something that shouldn't have been there. That's what DJ Moore can do. And I think with Justin Fields, it's kind of that same thing. The things we talked about him for last season, I don't need to see 20 designed runs. I, I keep seeing people kind of say, "Let's let's why aren't we designing more of these? Justin Fields made a lot of those big plays just off of plays that broke down. But it just feels like even when plays break down or when something's there that he doesn't like or that he doesn't trust, he's not taking off. Instead, he's just standing back there. And that's putting you in so many bad positions that I, I said this, I've said this so many times at this point, my biggest fear was they were going to come into this season and they were going to try to force him to be something that he's not ready to be. Doesn't mean he can never be that. Doesn't mean yeah. he can't one day become a pocket passer, stand back there and deliver the football. Doesn't mean that one day we won't build an offensive line that'll let him stand back there and pat the ball for seven seconds if he wants to. But right now with the team you have, the things that I see on tape is just, it feels Matt Nagy-ish in where the team is trying to force him to run the scheme, not based on what his skill set is, but just based on what Luke wants to call. And and we'll get into Luke as well. Like that's a that's a whole different thing. But you're just you're not allowing your playmakers to be playmakers. And I think that that's the part that's most concerning at this point in the season. Two weeks in, I've seen DJ Moore get a, a nine targets. Mm -hmm. Like that that's crazy to me. Like, even it, if Justin misses him 14 times, no, he I, have 14 I, targets. I agree. And I think the uptick that we saw this past week was, of course, by design. He was very conscious about trying to get the ball to DJ Moore. It's just like the part that makes no sense is, okay, it worked on one drive. And, yes, I know you're on the script. You've got 15, 20 plays scripted, and then you go off script and everything falls apart. Why is that? Like, yeah. the Bucks weren't in prevent defense when you were able to score on them in the fourth quarter, like that wasn't the, like what, 
what happened between that first drive and that eighth drive? Like that's yeah. where they need to dig in there because they couldn't move the ball. They were averaging 2.1 yards per play. I think they generated like just around 80 something yards on six drives. And there were a couple instances where, you know, they, the offense stalled out rather quickly um, and they went three and out three, you know, three and punt on yeah. one, two, three, four, five of those drives. Five the other one, plays, yeah. um, you know, and, and some of them were like nine and punt six and punt, but there were a couple three and punts. And then of course you had the field goal sprinkled in there, but they're not, I just don't think that they, they're not in a situation. Like when you think of the, like, Fields air yards. Like, so he's averaging this past game, he averaged five air yards, like, um, it's throughout the game. Like, that was the lowest of any quarterback. So, these screens and the short passing game, which I get in theory is supposed to help Justin Fields if he can just get rid of the ball quickly and deliver it, but that's not supposed to become the identity of your offense, which it kind yes. of feels like it has been here. Like, the, you got to take shots downfield. He has been so bad at doing that this year. And some of that's on his, on him. Some of that's on like the plays that are called, but I looked up the numbers yesterday and like kind of where it's been like where it was and where it's at right now. So the throws 15 yards downfield, like comparing it to the last couple of years. So 2021, when he starts for the first time, 28 completions there of 63 attempts. Um, and like the, you know, two touchdowns, five interceptions. 2022, when you get a full sample size of him as a quarterback, 36 completions, 76 attempts. So he's averaging just under 13 yards per attempt, eight touchdowns, six interceptions. This year, he's only thrown, he's only taken 10 of those shots downfield. And we know that, you know, 26% of the time they're throwing past the sticks. That's on play calling. And, yeah. and of course, it's how the reads are designed and where his eyes are supposed to go and in what direction, what who's first, who's not um in that progression but that's i put a lot of that on play calling too to not have things designed in a way that makes him you know he's a risk averse quarterback let's just call yeah. it what it is he's a risk averse quarterback and that's fine that's who he is you cannot change that but knowing that and not having the plays line up with what he is not going to do versus what he is going to do is the reason that those numbers for him that i just it you know rattled off are so low and I think here's here's the big thing, right? If at this point in Justin Fields' career, risk averse game manager, whatever we want to call it, he's that, right? Mm -hmm. There's something so he, he does that only one other person in the NFL can do if you let him do it. <laughs> there, his legs are literally elite. We saw that last season. He, him, and Lamar Jackson are the only two that can make some of the moves that they make. In this NFL right now, you don't take that away if this is where Justin Fields is now. That's my issue with where play calling is with this team. And, of course, the other thing, like you mentioned, right, the deep shot, what irritates me the most is there are quarterbacks that I believe are worse than Justin Fields, at least at this point, that I saw put up 321 yards the other day, right? Daniel Jones driving the football down the field. And I don't know if he can throw it 40 yards, but it's just seeing that on a continual basis where Justin Fields at the end of every day has the lowest passing yardage. And you see the screen pass, you see all of this stuff like, to me, you're just saying basically, oh, you're not very good at this right now. Just don't do it. 
And I don't think that's the answer either. Taking it away from Justin isn't going to help him improve. It's not going to help your team improve. It's not putting your team in a position to win. And I think that that's where we continue to look at Luke Getty. And the number one thing that I saw looking at the tape, there are times where I'm just like, how's DJ Moore your third option yeah. on the, your third read, your fourth read? Like, what are we going through here where Chase Claypool and Cole Komet are one and two or Tyler Scott and, and Roshan Johnson are one and two, right? Yes, Justin, there are times where that comes open and you have to have to put that ball on those guys. But I shouldn't go four plays in a row and DJ Moore is my number three. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and Justin's got to go all the way through. Like, that, that's insane to me. And they're going to design things to try to, like – confuse the defense so it's not as obvious because then they don't have it as easy to roll coverage towards dj Moore to try to like make it a little bit more complex of a design and complex like of a play call but i feel like then that overcomplicates things that yeah. overcomplicates what you're asking your quarterback to do it's never as simple as just get the ball to the playmaker just throw it up and, and watch something happen even though as much as we as people who cover it and people who are fans we, we want to we want that like it because it makes too much sense design something for dj Moore so he gets open every single time that's not going to happen but it's got to happen no. at a higher clip than what we're seeing right now but even right just not i think that's that speaks to what i was saying right just not attacking it makes defenses go ha we took him away like I don't have to. Okay, I don't. I don't have to have safety help over the top now. I don't have to have this extra man committed to him. Why? Because we took him away in the second quarter. In the second quarter, he got one target. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like Justin Fields never looked his way. Now again, right? Time of possession, all those things play into it. And there's a lot we could see with the run game, but uh, it's just yeah. It's where's confusing. that aspect? <laughs> yeah, then. yeah, you know like, what I mean. That like, thing is like it's not just Fields, but they are running so poorly on first and ten that it just sets them back and then they just abandon it. It yeah. makes no sense for what this team's identity was versus what it is now. I swear, and, and it's it's mind-blowing to me, and I, I Bears fans, maybe we're just cursed. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe we're cursed. It feels like Nagy. I watched that game, and I watched them run on first down, and they, like, stopped them. And I was like, all right, well, maybe don't throw a screen pass here on second. Oh, we threw a screen pass. Okay, all right, that's what we're doing. Like, it just feels like, hey, you don't see what's actually happening on the field. And it's so crazy because I feel like even with how bad this offense was last year, they still would do things where they were like, well, we have to throw this so it opens things up for Justin underneath mm -hmm. so he can use his legs. Like, what happened to all of that? Why is that all magically out the window now? I, I don't know. We got... We got so much to get to with this team, man. We probably won't even get to all of it here on today's episode, but uh, we got plenty to talk about this week for sure as we got Kansas City ahead of us. Uh, as we head into the third quarter here, though, Courtney, when you look at everything that we've seen to this point, who are you looking at that you are saying, okay, this issue, no matter what right now, has to be fixed? Because if this is not fixed... This season's down the drain. Is it head coaching doing something, offensive game plan doing something, defensive game plan doing something, <laughs> players on the field, or, or is it just are, are we just evenly dispersing the trash amongst everyone? Well, I I, I think that you know it's it's all it's all fair to say that it's on Justin Fields, it's on play calling, it's on you can spread the blame around collectively. So I'll go a different angle here. They cannot have one sack collectively um, for the last two weeks. This defense cannot. And I do think that they were slightly more aggressive 
A um, couple more blitzes that they saw from Matt Eberflus taking over yeah. defensive play calling duties. But to pressure Baker Mayfield on 17 dropbacks and not come away with a single sack, that's that's inexcusable. Do not keep feeding us the line of, oh, he's real slippery, like he's a hard one to bring down. You just paid Unique Ngakwe. You guaranteed $10 million of this dude to get him here, and he, you know, Mayfield slipped out of his grasp. His like, are inexcusable because it was like Baker, him, and he missed. One-on-one. <laughs> it, was just, it was just out of control to watch that. But I just – I feel like – the thing that's got to go away is their inability to pressure quarterbacks. It's going to get a lot more difficult on the back yeah. end of this defense. If Eddie Jackson can't play. Kyler Gordon's out for four, you know, next three games. Um, you know, it's not a good look right now with the personnel that they have. And to, to know that and not adjust to what you're doing up front, that's a problem. And to me, when the offense is playing this poorly, where are you going to rely on? The defense has not been good. It has not been good. And to bring extra pressure, like you just got to rip the bandaid off and change what you're doing schematically because these players can execute it. They, they you know, several guys have come from schemes that are, you know, asking for a, a higher presence of non-defensive linemen to be part of pressure packages. Yeah, they can do that. It's I think some of this comes on falls on stubbornness and ego of coaches. No, this is the way we're doing it. Kind of like what you were saying about the offensive game plan, like, you know, making Justin Fields do something that he doesn't want to do. I think on the defensive side of the ball, it's the same thing where you have players who can do a lot and to put them in better position where they can pressure the quarterback and that they're, are are different looks up front than some of the predictable four man rush uh, patterns that they have. But that's got to be where this team turns to try to keep this this season alive and get out of this zero and two hole. Because if it keeps snowballing, you know they're heavy underdogs going into Kansas City. We'll see where they're at. We'll see where Denver's at by the time you know Russ has had a lot of issues too. But like, yeah. let's see where they are going into Week Four. If these losses keep piling up. It's not like last year. You don't just get to write it off as, hell. Oh, this is the plan. They're going to have to lose a lot of games. They're going to be in contention for the number one overall pick. Um, you've got to put yourself in a situation where, you know, if those things keep happening, there's going to have to be a personnel change. There's going to yeah. have to probably be a change in, in duties. And I'm not, like, projecting firings happening, but you can't go – 15, 16, 17 game losing streak dating back to last October and not expect changes to to be forced through at that point. Yeah, and I, I think here's the weird part, right? For me, it just looks like a defense now, not anything like the Brian Erlacher, Lance Briggs defenses, but those defenses where we'd be like, why are these guys, at least this week, why are these guys getting down the field? Mm-hmm. Oh, we held them to a field goal. Like that's where... I kind of saw that and I was like, okay, that is better in a sense. If we're going to take anything out of it, it was very bend, but don't break. But the plays that they did break were plays where it shouldn't have been able to been broke. You had them in a third and 14. Mm -hmm. And they said they wanted that one back. I agree. My God, the third down conversion percentage alone needs to be addressed. And it's just like, I get it, right? Like you're missing a bunch of guys in your DB room and it's going to be different. It's going to look different when you're rolling Elijah Hicks out there with uh, elite tackling technique on uh, on on the, the, the wide receivers out there, right? Like it's just one of those things where we continue 
to see. I, I can see like the fan in me is like, that is improvement. What we get, pre- we pressured Baker on, I believe, half his dropbacks pretty much. Yeah. But you didn't get him down. So it's like, okay, I see improvement, but like Baker's a lot worse than the dude you're going to play this week. And you the can't dude pressure. You're play this week you can't pressure get away. Mahomes. Like that's the thing. Like teams just give up on that because what's the point? Drop everybody into coverage. Like the guy is, he's so good at that. And this is gonna expose them, I think, in other ways that like might look even worse than it did the first couple of weeks. But you know, there's no con- There's no like connection point between the rush and coverage here, which they keep talking about. Like, but we just don't see it and. Yeah. I I don't know what you're going to have to do. Like when I think about this defense and what the changes are, it's not on the players. I really think that this is something that's like a completely scheme, like a scheme thing where they've got to like, you know, and I go back to my like Minnesota days, like, you know, Mike Zimmer likes to claim that he's the one who like invented the double A gap blitz. Um, and I understand it. Like, I mean, they ran it a whole ton, even though that was something from Dallas, but like, um, it, Eberflus, in a lot of ways, there's only a couple of degrees of separation versus from his coaching tree under Rod Marinelli and some other ones that went through that Dallas system. Why can't they bring pressures like that? Why can't they find creative ways to utilize different fronts to present different looks and then find Michael Parsons on this team? I understand (laughs) that, but I mean, like, you have. What are you having Tremaine Edmonds do? What are you yeah. having TJ Edwards do? You just paid these That's guys a ton of money. What are you having them do? Like, you don't stop the run all that well. I mean, I thought against Tampa Bay, I mean, it was better than, I guess, like, you know, 60 or 120 rushing yards was better uh, than, you know, what they've been, especially yeah. dating back to last season. But it's not like that's like a staple of this defense right no, now. Not at all. So then what are you going to do? Like, if you can't be – the bend don't break mindset that you're talking about, like, you know, the third and 14 that they said they wanted back. Of course, you know, the field goal in the in the, in the the first quarter that they hold Tampa Bay to, those are some good moments, but you can't hang your hat on that as, like, the identity of this defense where it's going to basically be playing off the whole time, a lot of soft yeah. coverages. Like, that stuff isn't going to win you games. That's, it's going to keep you in games, but your offense then can't compensate and take you over the finish line. So what are you going to do? And I think that's the part that's the most annoying, and it comes back to the offensive side of the football. Was your defense great? No. But in today's NFL, and Lance kind of me and Lance kind of went at it about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. In today's NFL, if a if a if a defense holds you to 20 points, you you're supposed to win that game. Yeah. Th- this is an offensive system. It's or it, this is an offensive NFL. All the calls are predicated toward the offense. I think that the Mike Evans push-off tells you that, right? That the, sure. the offensive pass interference that should have been, basically that call doesn't exist in today's NFL unless you, like, kill a guy on the way through there. Like, I just, everything's predicated to the offense, and yet again, in a game where, listen, that defensive game plan will not win you this coming week's game. But it should have won you that week's game. And that's the part that I think is the most annoying to Bears fans, is the most annoying to to watching this team because it's like, okay, Luke, you got to understand at some point we got to attack. You're on second in, yeah, first and 11 on the six, and you're throwing the same screen pass that you just threw the play before. Why? Because it worked. This ain't Madden, Luke. 
<laughs> like these guys on the other side are a Super Bowl defense. Yeah, and that's uh, – I think the frustrating thing is that it was the same play not once but twice but three times. And, you know, that doesn't put you in – even if it – it's a boomer bust play to begin with from like the do- down and distance and where they were on the field. And Matt Eberflew said, yeah, if it works, you get applauded. If it doesn't, everybody wants to criticize no. you. Well, like <laughs> I understand. It could have worked and I would have had fury today. I'm not going to lie to because you. It's such a dangerous play with your quarterback having had such an up and down game. And I get, you probably don't want to get him in a straight drop back situation there because you don't want him to take the safety, but my goodness, like, that you, you you have to adjust. There wasn't really like I I watched a couple breakdowns of that play and just wondering where you know where the play design was. Where was the like where was the creativity in that? Yeah. Like to not have the look change up much at all. You have Levante David and Shaq Barrett who's been playing a lot of football together. You don't think they could have like just sniff that out the way that they did? And that's exactly what they did. I think even going going in more in depth with that, and and the one thing that I'm learning now, because I like to watch the All-22, see what I see, write it all down, and then go watch guys like J.T. O'Sullivan and different guys who are breaking down tape to see, okay, am I seeing what I, what I think I'm seeing or what the heck am I seeing? And I've spent so many days going, what the heck am I seeing mm-hmm. here? Who's your one? Who's your two? Like what On that play, every offensive mind that is breaking down tape in football right now, it's just like, you can't run that play. Mm-hmm. Dan Orlovsky's like, you can't run that play. Like th- there's no logical reason to run this play. And I think the more egregious thing, run the play. All right. It irritates me that you ran it, run the play. How Khalil Herbert three times. I like Khalil. I think he's a, he's a nice speed back. He's a great guy on that screen. You don't give the ball once again to DJ Moore one time. I mean, it's, like, it's kind like of an at the excitement end. of where, uh, like, it felt like they were trying to, like, force this thing through. They're like, we have nothing else right now on this play sheet. We, that's, the, that's what they were telling you. And a lot yeah. of times, plays that are called are a direct reflection of how, of what the offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator feel about their personnel. A hundred percent. And I think, to me, that's acceptable when we're in third and 15, fourth and 15s, right? Even Lance has said, we don't, most coaches don't have play calls on that. That's when you call the screen. We're, we're in these moments. I don't have a call for that. Mm-hmm. You were in a first and 11. You don't have a, a, a play to Roshan Johnson. You don't have something to Cole Komet out of the backfield. Now, granted, Cole, again, two weeks in, he hasn't given us a great effort. And and there's a lot still to talk about with this. But, I mean, like, I just – there's so many questions. I actually want to jump in the fourth quarter on this because I think here comes the question. Where – when does Matt Eberflus's leadership shine? Because we didn't bring him here to be a D.C. clearly – because Alan Williams is here calling plays. Luke Getze is now two weeks into this, and uh, we've seen zero creativity. We've seen, I'll tell you what, watching routes, there's zero hustle. There's zero intensity with these guys running routes. DJ Moore runs the hardest route on the entire team. When does Matt Eberflus's leadership shine, or is it time to bring his leadership into question with this team? Well, Two losses to start the season and the way that they lost, of course, week one, it felt like they were surprised, which that tells you that either they were had their head in the sand throughout the preseason where it was going to be where it turned out to be a lot worse than they were thinking it would be behind the scenes or they're just arrogant to the point where they feel like, okay, well, we're, you know, 
on paper we're better so we must be better like yeah they got humbled and that's okay if you can learn from being humbled but your schedule doesn't really make it easy when you've got kansas city this week to make all these sorts of adjustments um based on what you've seen from your group and their capabilities the first two games now like last year you're just trying to fight to stay to you know to stay locked in through the season of course we know that like not everybody on the team felt that way and like some guys were just kind of like you know what it's 10 game losing streak business decision here business decision there i think that eberflus one thing that i wish he would do more like you're the hits principal guy you're the one talking about hustle intensity playing smart um you know takeaways all these things you could have sent a loud message to like let's go back to the chase claypool thing bring it full circle i did not think he handled that well at all last week i think that there's a lot here actually starting with the chase claypool thing not i understand like you don't want to hurt players' feelings. You don't want to single anybody out in the media. You don't want to evaluate players, whatever. To that, to go on and say, well, yep, everybody saw the plays. We talked about it, blah, blah, blah. Like, go put, put your guy on notice and say, that type of play here is not going to stand. Like, you're, uh, because you're, you're preaching one thing, hits principle, this, that, and the other thing, and then you're allowing guys through your actions, like you kept him out there. It's not like he had benched in the middle of the game in the Green Bay game. Yeah. Like you're allowing guys to do something completely opposite to what you're teaching. Beyond that, Nate Davis, for example, we know that, you know, from my reporting and from, you know, kind of what we know with his situation, like he's been dealing with a personal issue. It's not, I'm going to make this clear on this podcast. It's not the only thing he's been dealing with, the death in his family. Yes, that has been part of what has been, been going on for him this offseason, kind of being touch and go. But there's some other stuff going on there too that the team doesn't, you know, team hasn't put out there. Team has not really talked about that much. But like, you know, Eberflus creating ambiguity with his answers on this put this situ- put Nate Davis in a very tough situation. It really did. And Nate didn't help himself whatsoever either because when we're talking to him and he's giving very vague answers and like, I don't want to talk about this, like – that doesn't help situations because you know why people then could come out and like say he's lazy, he's this, he doesn't want to practice all this. Squash that by saying by saying, hey, it's a touch and go situation right now with him. It's a personal situation. People will back off that way. That's a cultural thing that falls on the head coach because that's poor leadership for not addressing it from the very jump. This team doesn't tend to handle things very well when it comes to like PR crises and nightmares of like you know going back like years ago. And I'm not even like saying like PR. I'm using PR as like a very general term here. Control the message yeah. from that coaching staff to the front office, control the message from the very start. And then you won't have these issues where people can speculate openly about what's going on behind closed doors. Now we know Alan Williams is dealing with some sort of personal issue right now. There's very little clarity there. And maybe he's not, maybe Matt Eberflus isn't really comfortable speaking on it, but like when, when the team has to then kind of like walk back the way things have been going and like, okay, they knew about something and like they were, they like, didn't they just, they just haven't handled it well from a front-facing perspective of not creating more drama where they where it doesn't need to be because Tyke Tolbert's the only one who took accountability last week for any of the things that were going on with the wide receivers. Your wide receivers coach, to his credit, fell on the sword saying it's on us, uh, you know, for co- it's on us as coaches to adjust here to make sure that we get DJ in the right spot to make plays to make sure we do the same thing with Chase Claypool. Why is your head coach not doing that? Why is your uh, offensive coordinator not doing that? And 
they're not going to tell you everything. No one's asking for that. But some simple accountability when things are going as poorly as they are, um, that would really, I think, help in the court of public opinion. And I know they're going to say, we don't care about that. We're trying to win football games. I'm not on social media. I'm not this. Whatever. Like, this team, this franchise, this ownership cares quite a bit about the perception of this team. They always have. And I don't think that they're in a great spot right now just in terms of the way that things have been handled from all of the instances I just mentioned. And when it looks like you have players, you know, either not getting it or choosing to not get it, like that falls at the end of the day on coaching. And, you know, everybody can tell you it hits principle, this, that, and the other thing when they're winning games, but they have been winning games. And it's, you know, I just think it's kind of short-sighted for Matt Eberflus when he said, you know, worrying about like losing guys. Of course you're worried about that. You're not going to say that like publicly speaking, but you could at least guard against it in the way that like is actually realistic more than just sounding like you, you have your head in the sand on a very serious issue, which is a 12 game losing streak. Like you can't just say, Oh, a lot of the players in the locker room, like weren't here last year. A lot of the players were, a lot of the players were Matt, And like, that's, you know, that's really difficult, like to posture that like, Oh, they don't care about the losing streak. They care or what or no this week or Oh, and what, whatever the hell it is. Like, no, that's on coaching. And that's on him to try to like work his way out of that because Patience is going to run pretty thin if this losing streak continues and you continue to see the way in which they're losing falling on the same sorts of areas. Yeah. I mean, 25 points a game through this entire losing streak or more opponents have scored against the Chicago Bears. They haven't scored three touchdowns since the Philly game last year. They have not scored three touchdowns in a game. That's a problem. You can't win games in the NFL, Pat, that way. I don't care how good your defense is. This is a league predicated on passing and predicated on scoring. You are not going to win games if you have two touchdowns. And and you thought you went and got the weapons. And that's why I bring the leadership into question now, because what are you adding for? Right. What what are we what are we going to get DJ Moore for? What are we going to get Chase Claypool for if we're not gonna utilize these guys? I need to see, and I, I'll be all the other stuff, the PR stuff, all the stuff you mentioned is nothing if you win. Yeah. Right. If you win this week, we're not having this conversation right now about that. Winning, and I think winning that does hear a lot of things there, but I just think from from the coaching perspective, the front office, they can handle the messaging differently. They're choosing yeah. Like even with like Claypool not speaking last week, that wasn't a great reflection on him for like it because it looked like he was avoiding accountability. It yeah. looked like he was, you know, trying to like not have to talk about something until he kind of had no choice because there were a lot of people wanting to talk to him in Tampa. That's just never a good look for the team. See, it looked it, like you're running away from responsibility. In that situation, right? I'm with you on that because at that point you're looking at Chase Claypool saying, Hey, bud. Uh, you were clearly the worst player on the field today. You got to talk about that. And I think that that sets a level of accountability as far as the leadership. Like, oh, no, you're not going to hide from what we just saw mm-hmm. in that field. You're going to own up to it. You're going to go out there. You're going to answer all these questions. And you're going to be in the, in the public face on that. But from just just from this week, right, like there's got to be a moment where you just look over and look at I'm not asking you to do the whole remember the Titans walk up and down the sideline and say, I'm taking over if you don't start calling plays the right way. But there's got to be something where you say, hey, bud, you got anything else in the playbook there? You got anything else in the bag? Like, are we are we at the bottom? We're at the bottom of the bag here. All right, let's go back to the beginning. Like, there's got to be some moment where he looks at what this team is doing and says that this 
isn't our standard. And I don't see that. In week two, what I see on the tape is soft coverages from his defense. Mm -hmm. So that also speaks to, I can't lead a defense out of it. It also speaks to hustle and intensity not being there on that side. Mm -hmm. I see routes that are run very lackadaisical. I see, I mean, listen, you just paid Cole Komet $50 million. Chase Claypool has just been bad enough for Cole to hide. Like, Cole has been awful in two games. Yeah, he's got the nice green catch. He gets the catch downfield. But his blocking, his he's got one block. The first sack Justin Fields takes where Darnell uh, Wright, again, play design, very confusing, where Darnell Wright, right, misses, whiffs on it. Cole Komet's supposed to, like, throw a little block to Shaq Barrett and then get the heck out of there. He just does nothing and falls over. Like, it's the same things that we're saying. I feel like at this point we're reiterating it over and over again. It's just... You're at a point now with this team where I have to question the principles that you're standing on. And Mm -hmm. a house built on sand won't stand. No, it won't. And it'd be different if this was last year where you're a brand new staff getting guys to buy in in a season where you're not designed to win. They're designed to get better. They're not designed to contend this year, but they are designed to get better And you've got to wonder about their approach to a lot of these things when it just feels like the message is being lost or is one that guys are not buying into reflected in what you see on the film. Like Chase, I'll keep going back to it. And I know that we've moved on from this to a degree, but Chase Claypool broke the number one part of the hits principle, hustle. Yet he was not held accountable, at least in our eyes on it. Like you said, I don't, here's the thing, I just don't, I just don't give a shit, Pat. Like with the behind the scenes stuff, we're handling this internally. Miss me with that. Yeah. If you want to send a message to everybody on this team, not just Chase Claypool, you say, you don't have to be a jerk about it. You don't have to come out and say, like, he's the worst receiver of all time, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to say any of that stuff. You keep it very simple. Yep, I know exactly which plays you're talking about. Everybody's seen them. If we're not hustling, if you're not hustling, you're not going to be on the field. Period, point blank, move on. That's yeah. how you handle it. That's how you put your your put your foot down on this stuff instead of like, oh, it's technique, it's blocking, like it's effort, you know, like come on. And it felt even at times like he was making some excuses for Justin Fields this past week. And I'm talking yeah. about Matt Eberflus. I did not really yeah, the the spacing and the rhythm, but the excuse me, the spacing was off from some of the receivers, but in that affecting timing and rhythm of the passing game, I understand that. Justin Fields is an NFL quarterback. He's one of yep. 32 starters in the league. You got to let that ball rip because if you can't, then you cannot play this position and you will not be with this team much longer. That yep. is what it boils down to. And sometimes treating the, these grown men, these adults with kid gloves, that's a worse reflection on the coaching staff than on the players who can't seem to execute and do their jobs. I See, I even wonder if it goes back to what they're teaching them, though, because there's too many times where the system is is because I think, right, when when we saw training camp, right, Luke seems like he's getting after these guys. He's telling them where they need to be lined up. You can't be screaming at everybody because he hated guys going to and from like jogging. And I I credit him for a lot of that, for sure. That was an important moment, but that's also a moment. Offense is not the effort there and all that stuff that was called there's too many moments where i'm just sitting here and i'm going okay why is this wide receiver next to this guy and the route that they're running almost looks identical 
Or why are you doing why, a rub why route is here? DJ Moore why? and Chase Claypool? Why are they running to the same spot on the field? You know what I mean? Like I just if there's too many times, and even right there's it, excuse me, Cole Komet. It was it was sorry. Just it was Cole. Yes, it, it was, was Cole Komet and DJ Moore on a play where they're on the um, home team side of the field, and they like ran to the exact same spot, and they were both on. And they both do like, it. Yeah, it, it's, there's too many of those moments in two weeks where I'm just like. And it's not just me, right? Like, I get it if mugs want to question, oh, does, what does Pat know about watching tape in the NFL? Go watch the mugs that played and that, and that have watched this and have coached. They're saying the same thing. I feel like I'm Eminem in 8 Mile right now. I like, it's, it's, it's a situation now where, yes, the quarterback looks bad. And I'm not absolving him of anything. But the scheme's got to help this guy a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I look at the scheme and I'm like, if anything, like you're hurting them on almost every drop back here. Even with this new footwork where he's just dropping back mad lackadaisical on it. He's not attacking the foot. Like, I don't know how much of an impact it makes, but I'll tell you what. It makes an impact when you don't have a good enough offensive line to keep guys off of you. I need you at your five-step drop before the guy's already in your face and you're trying to make the throw or assess the read. Like there's so many things that I look at and I'm like, are they teaching them this up there? Cause it feels like that when I see it on the field. Cause when things are popping up this often, this ain't just by mistake. This is by design. No. And it's, it shows you that what they're trying is not working. Yeah. And that's like, at the end of the day, this is a game of adjustments. If you can't adjust and keep trying to force the same thing through, you're going to get the same result. Yeah. <sighs> We got Kansas City coming, Courtney, so uh, we'll see if there's some adjustments, uh, buttoning up some things. What's the latest on Eddie Jackson and Darnell Mooney? I know Flus was talking positively. We haven't gotten the injury report yet, but uh, is there anything that uh, indicates whether they will or won't play at this point? Yeah, I think that that's uh, – it's the same foot that he – Heard is Liz Franken earlier, mm. uh, you know, earlier this year, or excuse me, last year at the in week 12. So we'll see. Um, I think they're going to end up having to be pretty cautious with that because they don't want him to risk re injury there that would keep him out for a long time. All right. Uh, Alan Williams, is he calling plays when he gets back? Or yeah, is- Matt Eberflew said that that was a bridge that they would cross. So does it, it wasn't just a yes or a no. And yeah. since it wasn't just a yes, I think that that's something that shows you there might be a bigger issue, issue here at hand. It, possibly. I mean, that's a, it, uh, it looked better, kind of, I get. I don't know. Hey, uh, I appreciate everybody for tuning in and showing love. Listen, we got a long way to go with this football team. Hopefully, right, this is just like every other team. There's a lot of bad football happening out there. It's not just us. Hopefully, it's like everybody else where we're like, they'll get it together a month from now. We'll see. Uh, Hit that like button. Subscribe to the page. Appreciate Courtney coming on every week as she always does. She'll be back Thursday this week for uh, for more Bears breakdown. And we got McKee tomorrow. Drop a bear down in the chat. Y'all stay safe out of Chicago. Peace.